You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is my interview with the director and co-writer for How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Daniel Goldhaber. Hey everyone, welcome back to Boom Talk. Today, teaching myself to make a homemade blasting cap. If this works, it'll be step one in making our own improvised explosive. Might be headed to Texas for the winter. What's in Texas? This project. What kind of project? Try to stop the pipeline from being built on my property. Poisons the air, water. Damn, this place is sick. You guys cooking meth in here? I'm ready to start working. We have to show how vulnerable the oil industry is by hitting something big. Michael, what do you think the odds are we blow ourselves up? I don't really care. We could blow the pipe at the hilltop, keep the oil from leaking. You're not actually thinking. I'm not thinking about it. I'm doing it. What if y'all do structural damage? Structural damage is kind of the point. This is destruction of federal property. Terrorism. American Empire calls us terrorists, then we're doing something right. and I'm being joined right now by the director of How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Daniel Goldhaber. Daniel, how are you today? I'm good. Feeling feeling, feeling very excited about, about bringing this movie into the world. Well, I'm very excited for you. This was uh, a film that was not on my radar when I was at the Toronto International Film Festival, but one screening later, and all of a sudden it became a can't-miss film for me. I got so many messages from so many of my friends telling me this is so up your alley. This is exactly your kind of movie. And you might be wondering, well, what exactly is my kind of movie? Well, I want you to tell us first and foremost, uh, what kind of a movie is how to blow up a pipeline? How to blow up a pipeline is uh, a heist film about eight young people who uh, set out to destroy an oil pipeline in West Texas um, as an act of defiance against the fossil fuel industry and the climate crisis. So it being a heist film, very, very exciting genre. There's been a lot of heist films that have come before this. What stood out to you particularly as an example go-to for just trying to understand the elements of what goes into making a heist film to ensure that your picture has those pieces? I think that, you know, our North Star was definitely Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven, which is is kind of one of my all time favorite movies, um, it, mostly just because it's 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 for me just one of the most entertaining movies ever made. Like you throw that movie on, you just can't you just can't quit it. Um, and we also I think we wanted something that felt as kind of punchy and 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 that that had that kind of great third act reveal to an extent, you know, that was one that we were absolutely looking at. But there were others that were also, you know, front of mind from from Michael Mann's Thief 
to, you know, Reservoir Dogs, which informed a lot of our choices in terms of the narrative structure of the film and how we handled the ensemble. Um, to uh, uh, to to um, I'm a big fan of of uh, other kind of process based heist movies like Rafifi, Le Cercle Rouge. And I think my favorite Jean-Pierre Melville film, Army of Shadows, which was another film that we were looking at, which is not quite a heist movie, but is another movie that I think is also kind of wielding some of the, the nature of heist film and kind of ensemble crime drama to talk about an act of political resistance. I'm repping the uh, Criterion brand as I'm talking to you right now. I'm very familiar with all these movies, and I I love seeing that influence uh, weave throughout. But also, too, there is such a a relentless element of tension and stress throughout. You don't often give the audience a chance to breathe. It very much reminded me of contemporary um, work from someone like the the Safdie brothers, for example. Um, was that also top of mind uh, while not necessarily the Safdie brothers work, but just trying to create this unrelenting feel of tension throughout and never giving the audience a chance to catch their breath. I mean, I, I think that when I love the Safties, we weren't really thinking about about them very much when we were doing this. But I think that we were thinking about a lot of the things that they think about, you know, like I, I know that they're big fans of of movies like Thief in particular. And and I think that for me, trying to create an unrelenting pace to the film was not really front of mind, I think trying to tell the story as as sharply and economically and excitingly as possible is what we were doing. I think that even people that worked on the movie were a little bit surprised at how unrelentingly brisk and tense it ended up being, um, you know, my, myself included. Like, I think it just, it, it, I think something my editor says a lot is that I think he was unsurprised because whenever you put a bunch of kids handling explosives in a movie, the, the tension is kind of right there for you, whether you want it there or not. Um, and so I think that um, for me, though, it's really about in the edit that the target length of the movie is zero minutes. Um, and you're you're trying to kind of do everything you can to 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 sharpen the edges as much as possible. And so I think on that level, we were. Um, yeah, we were just trying to tell the tightest story that we could. It is incredibly tight, but you have so many characters that you also have to touch upon. And you mentioned Reservoir Dogs earlier about how you structure the film based on each character. Can you tell me a little bit about how much of that coming from screenplay to final film, uh, did that change at all in the edit or was it always laid out in the screenplay as is? Yeah, so the actual structure, all of the cuts back, to all of the flashbacks. Those were all scripted and none of those changed um, basically at all. I, I, you know, that said kind of, and we were almost boxed in there. So, you know, when, when Dan and I were cutting the film, we, we had kind of, you know, we'd given ourselves a hard deadline to essentially commit to a narrative structure because we knew that if we didn't, we were, we were going to kind of get into like an impossible place of trouble. And so, you know, we got to a certain point where I think we felt really confident that like, this is what it's going to look like. And then we just kind of locked it in. And then it became, how do we, how do we make that work? Um, and, and in that, it was kind of always this question of, you know, refining the flashbacks, refining the leads into the flashbacks, getting all that pace, right. So that we were titrating the information to the audience in just the right way so that they would, uh, they would, they would never be bored. Don't you know that you're a grown up? 
I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, I think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? I've never done it. So this is based on a book of the same name uh, written fairly recently, actually. Um, Can you talk to me a little bit about just how the material came across you? Uh, How did you come aboard the project? Yeah, so, you know, Jordan Scholl, who uh, is one of the writers and executive producers on the film, um, is an academic. He, I think in a matter of days, is defending his dissertation at Duke, um, and he'll be a doctor soon. And Jordan is somebody I've been working with um, basically my entire professional life. Um, he he came on as like, you know, gave me giving me feedback on my first ever professional screenwriting job. And we've we've been working together ever since. And, you know, in various capacities, he's story edited projects. We've written together on projects. Um, and Jordan had always kind of almost half jokingly been like, you know, hey, it's the era of IP and adaptation. We should adapt an, adapt an academic text. And I think it was like a, it was an abstract idea. Uh, and and. So he had recommended the book to me and Ariella just for 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 a different project that we were thinking about. And, um, you know, we started reading it. And very quickly, you know, for me, this image of a bunch of kids in the desert struggling with a bomb popped into my head. And in that, you know, between between that, the ideas of the book and the title, I think the movie kind of suggested itself. And so after that, we spent about, you know, I had been wanting to work with Ariella for some time. Um, I had met her earlier in 2020. I'd cast her in the lead of a film right before the pandemic hit and kind of knocked the legs out from under that project. But I'd really wanted to work with her. And we'd been like working on other writing stuff together. And and the, you know, me, her and Jordan had been potted up at the end of 2020, um, kind of kind of noodling around on ideas. Um, so the three of us kind of got together and started doing research on the project, interviewing people, trying to figure out who are these characters, how do you actually blow up a pipeline? And then Ariella was the one who kind of took all that research and and put the pieces together and 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 kind of wrote that opening sequence where everybody abandons their lives. And that didn't just, you know, suggest the ensemble for the movie and kind of the, who these main eight characters would be but it also kind of set the tone and the pace of 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 what the movie you know would kind of look and feel like so we talked about the pacing talked about uh how the music also like adds a lot to that uh, a sense of tension throughout but i do want to ask a little bit about working with uh your cinematographer talila del castro um i i found that the look of this movie was actually very unique compared to maybe what I expected heading into it. Um, Can you just elaborate a little bit on what your vision was for how you wanted the film to look aesthetically and how it brought that to life? Yeah, I mean, Tahila is brilliant. Um, You know, she shot this movie at 25. It's her her first kind of full-length feature film. Um, And... And I actually originally met Tahila. Uh, she was an electrician on my first film, Cam. Uh, uh, she was like a swing electrician. And um, I mean, for us, like we wanted to avoid, I think, the 
we wanted the movie to be exciting and thrilling, but we also wanted it, we didn't want to editorialize too much. We didn't want it to feel like we were kind of in there telling you what was exciting or thrilling. We wanted the subject matter to speak for itself. Um, but we also didn't want to kind of lean into that very expected kind of handheld um, documentary-esque, you know, uh, shaky cam vibe that I think would also be quite so obvious um, of a way to approach this. And also we wanted the film to kind of have that buoyant, youthful, kinetic feel. Frankly, I I was, you know, looking at DPs and stumbled across Tahila's I, I was just looking at the like WME roster, saw Tahila's name, saw she'd worked on cam, went to her website, saw her work. And it was like immediate. It was like, this is this is the artist that that needs to shoot pipeline um, and and kind of texted our little group thread and was like, what do you guys think of Tahila? And everybody was like, yeah, this is this is the look. And and I think Tahila brought so much you know, from a standpoint of, you know, the way that she shoots these characters, her empathetic look at them, and the way that the way that, you know, I think she does have that kind of unbelievably natural, youthful, kinetic, um, kind of beautiful, warm look. She's also she almost entirely shoots on film. Um, so she's she's a real expert when it comes to 16 millimeter. And she brought a great team with her, you know, uh, in particular, um, um, Jose, our steady cam operator, like quite literally carried this movie on his back and, and uh, was such a kind of extraordinary, um, you know, has such an extraordinary relationship with with cast and blocking and, you know, is somebody who could just kind of get thrown into a scene, you know, where it's like, we got 20 minutes left, we're, we're losing the light, you know, and I was, we were able to just throw Jose into it and 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 he'd nail the, these incredibly complicated camera moves and one was on the first take and it was, um, um, so it was a, it was a, it was a really amazing experience being able to work with such a kind of young, dedicated crew that I think had such a, such a, um, uh, an authentic connection to the material. That's so awesome. Uh, I want to give you the final note here to, uh, state, you know, some people will maybe interpret this movie a little bit differently depending on their political viewpoints at the end of the day, uh, even the characters in the movie view what they're doing as an act of terrorism. Uh, so when it comes to just advocating for, big social changes such as this and being able to make a difference. Obviously these characters take things to drastic measures, but what do you want people to ultimately walk away with when they finish watching how to blow up a pipeline? I think uh, a great film asks a great question and doesn't necessarily provide an answer. And I think for us, the question that we're trying to ask in this film is that, you know, as a, as a world right now, we are staring at, you know, a future of climate apocalypse and, what we want to ask people, what tactics and strategies are necessary and defensible to avert that. And the movie follows eight characters who believe that sabotage is a justifiable act of self-defense. Sabotage of a fossil fuel, a fossil fuel infrastructure is a justifiable act of self-defense. And I think that the provocation of the film is that we tell that story in an exciting, mainstream, relatable way. And we want audiences to walk away from the film with that emotional experience and draw their own conclusions for their own lives wherever they are. And I think that that's what a great provocative art piece of art or provocative story does. Um, and, and I think that, you know, whatever results for that, from that, I cannot really imagine. And I think that that's what's exciting about telling stories and making movies to me. 
I love it. Thank you so much for the time here. I really, really appreciate it. I really, really enjoyed this movie. I, I need to ask before I go, what do you have coming up next? Or, or are you not allowed to tell us? <laughs> I, I It's public. Um, I am um, currently in pre-production on an adaptation of Faces of Death starring Barbie Ferreira and Baker Montgomery um, that we're doing with Legendary Pictures that I uh, wrote with um, Issa Matsei, who wrote Cam, and she's also producing this one. And uh, it is it is um, going to be a wild departure from how to blow up a pipeline, I can say that much. Well, we love the versatility. Thank you once again so much for your time here, Daniel. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great to meet you. YouTube. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to my interview with the director and co-writer for How to Blow Up a Pipeline, Daniel Goldhaber, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. How to Blow Up a Pipeline is now currently playing in theaters from Neon. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and we are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today, such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday.